DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home, and right now Zero Res is cleaning carpets for $33 per room. Plus, schedule three rooms and they'll clean your fourth for free. Call Zero Res today to schedule your cleaning at 801-288-9376. Steve Cleveland joining us now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, social media is a funny place. There are pictures out now of Caleb Lohner with his hair trimmed. I wouldn't say cut, but trimmed. He coached at BYU. Is that really this big a deal, or are people just tremendously bored right now without games? <laughs> well, I can tell you when I was there that the uh, the hair codes and the beer codes and all those kinds of things were very real. And uh, uh, they had an honor code office that uh, – kind of reminded us on a pretty regular basis what was appropriate and wasn't. So that's been a long time. I, I'm not sure uh, where it's at uh, it, with uh, the new new rules and regulations, because I suspect they've made some changes. But uh, that was something that uh, there's a little bit of sensitivity to that, and uh, we had to be aware of it. And otherwise, you kind of get called into the honor code office. You might get a, a, some kind of email or, <laughs> or something, some kind of message that said I needed to make sure my players uh, – dressed and looked appropriate. I didn't get many of those, but uh, I, uh, and I always was a little jealous that somebody could actually get a beard card. I'm not sure how they did that. (laughs) (laughs) I had uh, just uh, last few years, I had a football coach tell me that it was 20 minutes before a home game. And somebody, I guess from the honor code office came in and told the coach that he had to go tell one of the players that in order to get out on that field, 20 minutes before kickoff, he needed to shave. <laughs> and and I thought, wow, this is a Saturday. This isn't even a Sunday at church. This is a Saturday. And it's not like your, your deal with basketball. You guys, so to speak, were exposed to the world. You know, you could read lips. You could hear stuff. There was no helmets. The crowd is much closer. And you had good teams. So the place was packed. You got a lot of attention. And so I can understand a little bit more for basketball. Football, you know, it's spread out. Obviously, it's a huge stadium. You got a helmet on. And it just seems 20 minutes before a game when you got to get yourself ready that that was a little excessive. Well, could there, could there be things that could be done that could be more respectful to the process of preparing for games and whatnot? I, I don't think there's any question that it could have been done more appropriately. And we look back, and, and I am sure there have been times when um, things were done uh, in, that, in that kind of setting and circumstance. And, and that is inappropriate. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you a story that I'm not going to mention any names, no matter how much you want to know. But at the end of the day, we're at Utah. <laughs> And uh, we're, we're getting ready for a game. And you know how small that locker room is. Uh, you know, it might be like 15 by 15 locker room. That includes a shower. I think there's one shower there. I'm sure things have changed now. But uh, we're in the locker room getting ready. And uh, one of my players, uh, transfer player, decides to come in with a brand-new tattoo. <laughs> now, this is pretty young in my experience there. But it, it was really clear at that time that you couldn't have new tattoos, you know, and uh, there was an allowance for people that had tattoos. Uh, and, and, and I saw the, the whole spectrum of it from, you know, cover the tattoos up to uh, you, you couldn't have them. And anyway, this, this young man had this good looking tattoo on his arm 
And uh, he was getting ready. I mean, literally, we're, he, you know, he took everything off. And I, all of a sudden, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm a pretty new coach there. And, uh, and I, I've had things pretty well explained to me that, you know, this is not what we do. And, and I'd been there long enough when got things situated that I, uh, I, I could have a voice in this matter in the locker room, obviously, and had the support of the school because they had told me that was the circumstance that, you know, we're just not doing tattoos. So uh, basically, I don't think the player understood me. And I said, no, you, we're not doing that. You're, you're going to cover it up. And, uh, and then because I'm not going to deal with all that fallout. And all of this is happening right before the game. And we're playing one of the great Utah teams at the time anyway, hard enough to play to have a distraction like that in the locker room. And it, it was really uncomfortable. You know, and, and eventually the young man, you know, we covered it up with tape because you wanted to play. You know, I said, oh, I should have your warm up on and you're not, you're not going to play. And, and that, so you, you talk about that culture and what I had, you know, been shared with me from my administration that, you know, we, I wasn't going to go buck the system. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen, especially as a young coach and, and not understanding a lot of the things about the school anyway uh, at that particular point in time. So it, it ended up being okay. I mean, the player understood finally. You know, it was it was kind of an emotional thing. It's certainly not what you want as you prepare to walk on the floor and you're having to have a conversation with a player that he's not going to play because of a tattoo. And we and we you know that we have players that had tattoos and had them previously, and they kind of changed those rules and and allowed that. But uh, yeah, I can still remember that vividly right there in that tiny little locker room being. Uh, not, just not believing that I could have something like this happen for a game. And, uh, and I handled it the best I felt I could handle it. And uh, it didn't become a distraction. And the public never really was made aware of it. And uh, we just moved on like we do as coaches. But uh, I did have an experience with that. <laughs> so who was the player? <laughs> no, I'm not telling you. <laughs> how often how often does something happen like that where there's something that, you know, the outside world would consider – dramatic, intriguing, salacious, whatever, and it just doesn't get out. But it's something you have to put up with, and it's something you got to spend a lot of energy on. How often does that happen? Not just at BYU, but just in your experience at Fresno State and stuff, you know, coaches get together and you tell stories about crazy stuff that happens. Well, I think that there are always things that happen. And, and you do, you know, you must manage that. I know, uh, uh, you know, they talk a lot about at BYU right now, and Coach Polk talks a lot about being the best locker room in America and those kinds of things. And I think that those things are really important, but there's still personalities, there's circumstances, there's emotions. And, uh, no matter what, things happen. And uh, I, I can remember uh, at the junior college when I was at pretty Pleasant City College, and uh, I had uh, a couple of high-profile players and uh, uh, one of them was Rafer Alston. And, uh, and Rafer was an intense competitor, and uh, he, he was a leader for us, and he had had some issues in his life, anger issues and things, and he had committed to, to Fresno State and was going to play for Jerry Tarkanian, and uh, he was there on his uh, recruiting visit with some other players. Well, as the near the... The locker room. I don't know if you, either one of you have ever been in Salon Arena, but I think you may have had them. But there's a small area by the locker rooms, and and these recruits were kind of just hanging out for Fresno State, and one of them was my player, 
And uh, the next thing I know, I'm coming back, you know, and I'm walking back there to to uh, get ready. And all of a sudden, I see two or three guys kind of pushing each other, shoving, yelling. You know, there, there's a confrontation. And one of them was my player. And, uh, and so, you know, what is going on here, you know? And apparently somebody had offended somebody. And I don't know if it was as simple as uh, uh, East Coast rap to West Coast rap or whatever it was. <laughs> it was something really, really important, I'm sure. But it was stupid as it was. It got confrontational, and it wasn't pushing and shoving. Well, what, what I didn't know is uh, that the media was there with cameras. With cameras. And, uh, and I thought, and, and we, we were like the number one team in the country. This, obviously, Draper's a really good player. And uh, I, I didn't want any additional attention. And I certainly didn't want to have to answer for why my point guard is in a confrontational issue with other recruits <laughs> before the game. And so uh, you can imagine, as a coach, sometimes you just get a knot in your stomach thinking, oh my gosh. I don't need it. And there are already enough headlines with Tark and the whole group there every day. (laughs) There was always something happening. I just didn't want it to spill over into the Fresno City College program. (laughs) And uh, anyway, for me, luckily, uh, the the newscaster, the sports newscaster, was a good friend of mine, and I graduated from high school with him. And I just asked him, I said, I know you were there, and I said, what what are you thinking thinking about what you're going to do with that piece? <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm gonna. It's going to be a piece on my show tonight. I said, and I and I again, I'm not sharing names, but I just said, listen. I said, you know, that's not going to be helpful to me to what I'm trying to do. I'll take care of it. I promise you, I'll take care of it. It wasn't that serious, but as soon as this thing hits the papers or it's the news, then all of a sudden we've got all this attention, and it's a distraction to what we're doing. Nobody was hurt. It was, you know, it was obviously inappropriate what happened. And uh, so, you know, he didn't, he never really said to me and committed to me that he, he wasn't going to show it. And uh, so I, it was kind of a sleepless night, you know, because I thought, oh, man, I'm going to have to deal with this. And uh, there was nothing I could do. The next day, that night, that night, it didn't show up. And the next day, it didn't show up. And three or four days, it didn't show up. And I realized my good friend took care of me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he uh, was I'm thankful to and I, I, you know, I called him I said thank you I said it, 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 you know it's just something right now there's so many distractions and you, you all know that time here there, you had Wojnarowski you, you know you had all the top yeah. guys they, I mean they're covering basketball at Fresno State yeah Andy and, Katz was uh, there Andy, Andy Katz you know these guys made they started their careers in that locker room that's where it started for them and they had you know, they did that, that's where it happened for Andy and both of them. I mean, hey, Adrian had to leave town. Uh, and, and I considered Adrian a really good friend when he was here, and I had not had any contact with him in years. But uh, he was such a good human being. And I, it, it, that environment and circumstance got to him, and eventually he just had to leave. Because he had, you know, he was writing editorials. Andy was just following the team and yeah. being, everybody's, every, being everybody's friend. But for Adrian, he had a difficult task, and eventually he would leave. I really miss not having him there. But that just gives you kind of a feel of the environment in that program and what eventually I would come back to and have to clean up. But it was uh, it was a little crazy. So I, I have had a few of those experiences. <laughs> yeah, I can recall there was an issue you had with a, with a player 
uh, and I had found out about it, and I was down. You were practicing in the field house, and I was coming towards the end of the practice, and you saw me in there, and you left the court and came up, and we went up and sat in the stands where they would sit now for the volleyball I remember your sports information guys like what what the heck's going on <laughs> and you came up to me and you and you were so open that's what i, I found it fascinating that you, the, the way you dealt with the media a junior college doesn't typically get a lot of attention fresno city maybe got more so than if you were in a bigger metropolitan area uh, as far as junior college you take for instance salt lake community i mean they hardly get any uh but anyway my point is that you you just had a natural way of dealing with the media that uh, was something that it looked like you'd had years and years of training. And how did you develop that to be able to know, to, to have a program that was open to where you would allow media in, but yet still be able to make sure that the message that you wanted was presented in the way that you liked? I think, I think one of the things that, at Fresno City College, because it was so high profile, and, uh, you know, I had Chris Heron. I mean, a lot of people in Utah may not know who Chris yeah. Heron is. I mean, he's really turned his life around today and just doing some good things. But Chris Heron was a highly publicized recruit. Uh, his father was in politics back in, 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 in Massachusetts in that area. And he came out and, uh, and he already had a, a book written about him, you know, before he even got there. And so there were some really high profile people. And, they interacted with us and, and, and I had to do, I was, I was as a junior college coach, I was dealing with Adrian and I was, I was dealing with Andy because some of my players were going over there. Larry Abney was going over there. So I had that experience early on that nobody else would have in a junior college. They just wouldn't have it. And, and then when I got to BYU, um, Lynn Archibald, um, who played a significant role in opening a door for me there to get involved in that job, we, we became good friends. And, and he had a good friend that, that had been involved in the program. And one of the things that Lynn said to me was, he said, you're coming, from, you're coming to a place that you have no history with or any perspective. He said, I know you're confident. I know you're comfortable with people and around people. But I said, you need to spend some time with with this, this guy and you need to spend some time with me when you come in that we can give you a little bit of lay of the land of, you know, what's going on. And so during that time, during that time before, you know, Lynn got really sick, but I can remember him sharing things with me about just public relations about the media. And I had always had a really positive relationship with the media well, it's easy to have a positive relationship with the media when you always have really good teams yeah. and you don't have any real problems. <laughs> you know, every, every, everybody likes each other. You know, it's when people do inappropriate things and you're lose, you're, now you've lost four or five in a row and you've got to answer to that. So that being said, I think Lynn knew that. I think he knew it and uh, he, he became a mentor to me for a short period of time. And... Uh, and he had a friend, Ron Dotson, who was a very close personal friend of his, who was, you know, someone that was involved in my life that helped me to understand. But I, I always felt that it was important to, to be open and transparent, especially in situations like that. And I, I was, I mean, hey, we've all been in meetings and rooms and circumstances where we had a, you know, our gut was aching and, and we were nervous and, 
things weren't going right and we're trying to fix it. And uh, I just felt like my experiences at Fresno City with all the media and then coming and having Lynn kind of mentor me and take me aside and share some things with me that I, that I wouldn't have known. You know, it's a combination. Same thing with Ron. It was a combination of those things. And then, you know, the other thing was is that my staff got a chance to kind of see that. And, and, and when we had staff meetings, I'm, I'm kind of famously known for yellow pads of paper. <laughs> and even my wife still gives me to this day that, you know, I, I wasn't a technology guy. I wasn't using computers and things, but I always had a pad of paper. I was always keeping notes and writing things down. And there were a lot of, a lot of staff meetings that I had the opportunity to kind of work with and teach and learn from uh, what it was going to be like at this next level. And so, you know, to be honest with you, Pat, when I saw you came in, and, and I, I think just coming from a different perspective, not being from Utah, I, you know, I kind of wanted to get to know the media guy. I, you know, I, mean, I knew him well in Fresno. I mean, and when things weren't right, it wasn't like they didn't, when we played bad, talk about it. But I always felt, to be honest with you, pretty safe there in that setting because I was just going to tell you how I felt anyway. And I didn't feel like there was some vindictive person uh, that was trying, was out to get me. You know, and I, mean, I felt support, and I knew that when things were good, they're going to get reported good. When they weren't, we weren't. And, uh, and nobody likes it when you're not playing well. And, uh, and even with Gordon Monson, I can remember having an interview with Gordon Monson when I first got there. And uh, he, he, he did a, a cute, fun, it was a kind of a fun little piece on who I was and being from California and some things. And we had some conversations. And I, and I think that, you know, I think probably if I had gotten uh, information from people, you know, Gordon was the kind of guy, well, you got to be careful with Gordon, you know. <laughs> and I know, you know, they, they know what they're talking about. You know, it's, well, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be the guy that's writing editorials and doing things. But I... I never really felt, and, and Gordon had to write things about me as you did, Pat. That when things weren't right and weren't well, and, uh, and 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 I knew that. But luckily, I had some good mentors to kind of help me deal with that and address that. And uh, it's not to say that there aren't times the coach would be lying to you if he didn't tell you that when things weren't good and when people were saying things. And hey, and today with social media and things as they are, uh, it's it's a, you know it's a hundred times worse. But I, I always felt uh, comfortable in that setting because of a lot of the things I learned from Lynn and from Ron and, 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 and my past experiences at Fresno City with, with, with Adrian and Andy Katz. I mean, it was just I was very fortunate to be around those types of good people. Well, it was funny you said that about Lynn Archibald giving you the lay of the land because I didn't know when I got my first TV job but the guy I was replacing said, you need to know this, boom, 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 and dealing with this boss is like this, and this boss is like this. And it was all spot on, and it made it so easy. And I mean, I knew it helped, but I didn't really know until I went to Sacramento and Salt Lake without that. <laughs> and I looked back, wow, Dan really did me a favor. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And the, the, funny, the funny thing is that uh, Mark Pope marries Lynn Archibald's daughter. Yep. Yeah, you know what I, uh, you know, at the time, and and you know, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll tell you another little story here. About three years earlier, uh, I had the opportunity to actually come up and visit Roger Reed. He had me come up. Um, 
there had been an opening in his staff. And the only reason that he would even be thinking about me is that Roger and I had become friends and uh, at camps. He, uh, I'd gone to a couple of BYU camps, and, and when he was with Liddell Anderson, Liddell Anderson was good friends with my college coach, and I was a high school coach. But I got to know, uh, I got to know him, and and so as as it turns out, I went up, and I had been involved with Roger. He had, he was curious about the matchup zone that Boyd Grant was running, and and so I had been invited to come up, and there was a job opening, and just to talk coops and stuff. And I did three years before I came to BYU. I spent a wonderful weekend with Roger, and uh, we talked hoops. And, uh, and and as it turns out, uh, I didn't get the job. Uh, he hired Lynn Archibald, and so the, the irony. You know, I mean, there's a lot of irony here. Uh, and and Roger and I, you know, we weren't close friends, but he always took really good care of me when I came to camp. He was really kind and to me. And for me, you know, most people don't know this, but for me to come in and be involved in that job, when I had no idea what was going on at the university, I had no relationships. The only person I really knew was, was Roger from working camps. And then I knew guys like Greg Shaddy, high school coaches who, you know, we hung out with when I was working camps and played hearts at night till two in the morning and got to make some good friends that way. But interestingly enough, that Lynn Archibald would be the director of basketball operations and be very sick. And I would be involved with him uh, three years earlier where he was the guy that actually came on staff and, and got the job that, you know, I was hopeful that I might get. But, I, you know, when I saw who he hired, I thought, wow, this guy's been a head coach a couple times. <laughs> that, that's a great hire. And at that point in time, I remember coming back home to my wife and telling her that, you know what? That was really unrealistic. I don't know why I even thought. I don't know anybody there. It doesn't make sense. And I kind of just said, enough's enough. I'm not doing that. I have a great job. And I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, three years later, uh, I get a phone call from Lynn telling me what happened. And someday when we have a story, have a little time, I'll tell you the story. But But, but it was... It was Lynn, so obviously I have a really soft spot in my heart for Lynn and uh, his wife and and, and uh, his family. So uh, yeah, the fact that Mark's there now and and killing it, uh, just we're all connected. Isn't it funny how we somehow, some way got connected? Just like uh, I got a little bit connected with Dave Rose. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that sometime here. And just amazing how things unfold. Well, as always, Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and telling some stories. You bet, man. We'll take care of you guys. Have a good week. All right. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July to you, too. Steve Cleveland, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz Center Rudy Gobert still has trouble smelling after testing positive for the coronavirus in March. He told French newspaper that the taste has returned, but the still smell is still not 100%. He says he can smell smells, but not from afar, and he spoke to specialists who told him it could take up to a year for it to return to normal. 
Jazz are going to open play against the Pelicans at 4.30 on July 30th. There will be a lot of matinee games for the Jazz. They've got eight games in Florida, only one in primetime. The Lakers on August 3rd. All the other games will start sometime between uh, 11 in the morning and 1.30 in the afternoon. And then the last game of the Spurs still has the time to be determined. That's a back-to-basketball update brought to you by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. There's ways to incorporate, much like Taysom Hill with the Saints, use him as a, you know, halfback, halfback pass, but occasionally let him run it just, you know, just to show that you'll do that. Something like that. But I don't know if you take him out, take Aaron out on goal line and put Jordan in and run an option and then you get crushed. Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Raymond, Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. That's Brett Favre right there. You know, as I listen to it again, PK, I wonder if he was answering a question and throwing a host of bone there. Well, you're not going to do that. I mean, maybe you could do this over here. It'd be unorthodox, but it's a copycat league, and certainly it's worked for the Saints and for Taysom Hill, but you got to pick your spots. Yeah, I don't think Taysom Hill was ever the backup quarterback, so if he had gotten injured, that wouldn't have been a big-time issue because they had, in the case of last year, Bridgewater, who was ready to go and, and did play when Drew Brees was hurt, particularly when you've got an older quarterback, which obviously the Packers have in Aaron Rodgers is an older quarterback and you know, not necessarily injury prone. I can't say that, but you know, you worry more about that. So I think with your backup quarterback, I don't think you can afford to be having him throw halfback passes and blocking punts and all the stuff that Taysom Hill did. And I don't know that Jordan is going to win the number two job. I assume that, but I don't know that. So I think you got to have your backup quarterback ready at all times to go. And it'll be interesting to see what Taysom's role is this year because it looks like, and we had David Nixon, his brother-in-law, on a few weeks back, and he was talking about, well, I mean, I know they brought in uh, what's-his-face Winston, but look at who they're paying, and they're paying Taysom way more, so – there is still a level of competition. So I don't know if Taysom is going to play that diversified role if he's going to be the number two guy and has to be ready if Breeze gets hurt like he did last year. So, But what's cool is there's Brett Favre talking about two guys who played their college ball in Utah. How about that? In the yeah. spotlight, baby. The topics yeah. of conversation. That's, that's, why, that's why I came to Utah, because I knew it would be the hub of the sports world. <laughs> Well, look at the quarterbacks. These guys are trying to replace, will have to replace, are appropriately aged and in the right place to replace, whether they do or not. I mean, Breeze and Rodgers. Okay, Brady's got a bigger rep. Roethlisberger. You know, Russell Wilson's too young and too far away from being replaced to worry about. So, I mean, the, the, you know, two to four quarterbacks 
and we're anticipating what's going to happen next with these guys who've been, you know, on our TVs week in and week out for more than a decade, and in Brady's case, two decades, decade and a half, I guess, for the other guys. Well, you just mentioned four guys that I would think would go into the hall. Yeah. And obviously, Brady is a lock. I think Breeze and Rodgers and Roethlisberger are very much in the discussion, and I would assume that they would all, all three of those guys would join Brady in getting in. We talked some jazz basketball this morning. The schedule is out. And if you're ready to watch the jazz as they restart, only one traditional primetime game. The Lakers are a 7 o'clock start. There's a 4.30 with the Pelicans, the first game back on July 30th. And the other games are all in the uh, 11 a.m., 1, 30, 1.30 time range. So ready for matinee basketball, PK. Mid-afternoon, you were recalling that Saturday afternoon with the Mavericks. Now, these will be weekday afternoons. But that Mavericks Saturday afternoon game, I guess we remember it partly because it was one of the best games of the year. It was a great game, yeah. But it was just cool that it was in the afternoon. It was different. Uh-huh. Well, now we're going to have a slew of different day games in August. I don't think that when we started the 2019-20 season that I would have predicted that the Jazz or anybody would be playing day games in August. <laughs> if, I, if I would have thrown out there and bet on that, I would have received a large sum of money. <laughs> that, 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 Nevertheless, that's where we are. I'm just a little ticked that they can't play early, early in the morning so we could sleep in. But no, we can't. Yeah, everyone else gets preemption. Yeah. So that's, that's what we miss in the morning, the good old preemption. It's like Christmas Eve. Everybody's off except us. Be, <laughs> we constantly get ripped off. <laughs> the outrage of it all. I know. Can you imagine that I have to get up on Christmas Eve and go sit on my butt and talk sports for four hours? The injustice of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of injustice, what is Under Armour doing to the Pac-12? To UCLA specifically, and apparently Cal too. They signed a 10-year, $86 million deal with Cal in 2016. They won out of it. They're trying to break it. They signed a 15-year, $280 million deal with UCLA that went into effect in 2017. And as of last September, it was still the largest college apparel deal in the country. Now, UCLA is losing to San Diego State at home and packing in somewhere between fifteen or 20,000 people a game. And Under Armour wants some of their money back. And PK, that would be a huge financial hit. UCLA's got a new AD. Hey, welcome to the job. Here's a problem for you. Well, it does seem as far as football anyway, and obviously this is a whole athletic department situation, but it seems like football for the Bruins is just one bad news after another. And uh, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if they can get it going under Chip Kelly like they anticipated and who who are we having? Was it uh, Lincoln Kennedy? Who was talking? Who who was almost to the point of insistent that Chip Kelly was looking to get out? It was and, Lincoln Kennedy, I think. Was it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Lincoln Kennedy who was telling us. And everybody's talking about USC, but keep an eye on UCLA because that is not sounding good over there. Yeah, I right. think it was Lincoln. So you know, and he was such a ballyhooed hire, which goes to my theory. And I'll take this theory to the grave, and I don't know if I'll be talking sports in the great beyond, but here in this lifetime, I consistently say I refuse to judge any coaching hire 
because you just don't know. And I'm not giving up on Chip Kelly yet either, for that matter. But remember, like, oh, my gosh, they're going to be a power because they got Chip Kelly. Look what he did at Oregon. Mm -hmm. And within a couple years, look out, SC. Look out, Pac-12. Blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously, it hasn't materialized. And it's been a slew of bad news, not just materializing, but it's been bad news almost all the time. Last week, the players, they want a third party with a medical person, and then we asked Dr. Petron. I thought that the doctor was the third party, and uh, that, that those are their jobs to look out after the, the medical interests of the player, not the how many yards he's going to gain on the next carry. Uh, but you just don't know about coaching hires. You, you, guys that don't seem like they're going to be great end up, and guys you think are going to be great aren't. And you really you have to let it play out because you're not really sure. And now I – Obviously, Utah has been long in Under Armour, and I, I like their apparel. And Kyle, you know, has been so—I mean, he gets paid by them, so of course he's going to endorse them completely. Uh, so, what does this mean? You got two programs in the conference. Are the Utes going to be affected? Uh, I, I would think, you know, certainly Mark Harlan. I would think there's already been discussions, uh, if not extensive discussions, on what's going on there. Don't need to take another hit. Taking enough hits financially already. There's all kinds of talk of pay cuts and layoffs. Every time you turn around, there's another school mentioning it. The last thing you need to do is one revenue stream that you thought was locked in, and you find out it's not locked in. Although I have to say, in UCLA's case, and I mean, you're right about Chip Kelly. You know, everybody was excited. There were so many positive things about him going to UCLA. And this past year, to watch and to see literally 15,000 people rattling around the Rose Bowl, it was unbelievable. So you get Under Armour, you know, they got whatever financial issues they've got. And I don't know if they've got some way to escape in that contract or how ironclad it is. But, man, that would really suck for UCLA if they lose, you know, several million dollars a year out of their budget. That's that's going to oh, cost people. Sure. That's yes. going to cost people their jobs. I mean, <laughs> there's going to be there's going to be cuts. That would be a major a major hit. Yeah, I don't know how they would recoup that. Would there be another company that would be looking to jump in? And what would be the reduction? Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't think they would offer them the same amount of money. So there'd be some form of reduction to the extent of I don't know. I don't know how all that works. Uh, but yeah, that caught my eye big time. And of course, I just gra- I naturally gravitated towards Utah because I know full well that's what they do. I don't think I've ever seen Kyle without some type of Under Armour. He has an Under Armour suit. I think he. <laughs> <laughs> His daughter got married last week. I think he wore an Under Under Armour suit. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, we got that Under Armour protect this house. We take that very seriously. And I think oh, that's yeah, from yeah, a yeah. post game press conference. Oh, after it is. They it won is. a home game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. I actually wore uh, some Under Armour stuff uh, to a practice afterward, and he comments. You know, he loves to comment on what you're wearing. All the time. He does that man, I know he yeah. took heat on that one lady yep. for her what, whatever. Nice uh, pants. Pant, was it? Yeah. yeah. And people thought that was sexist and, or he's hitting on her. No, that that is just who he is because that's what he does. It doesn't matter who you are. He had no ulterior. Believe me, the guy's pure that way. Absolutely. And so he commented on it on my underarm. I think I had some type of pullover. And I said, hey, yeah, underarm, man, protect this practice field. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there was one morning, you know, we get dressed in the dark half the time, right? And so I put on, and I thought I was grabbing one pair of shoes and I was grabbing another. And it was just a 
beat up pair that I only wear when I'm working in the yard. And I had to go straight from radio up to uh, one of their um, uh, summer practices, you know, when they're going early in the day. Yeah. And uh, and I go straight up there and walk right up. And I'm like, please don't notice. Because, I mean, at this point, he's already commented, commented, what are you wearing blue at practice for? Nice shorts. You know, I mean, there have been a million of them, right? And I think, don't notice today, Kyle. We must protect this house! <laughs> Thank you. Walk right up. And before he, I mean, he walks right up and the semicircle forms. He looks straight at me, looks at the ground and goes, nice shoes, dude. <laughs> Didn't even get like three seconds. He always notices. All right. Anything else we talked about this morning? We talked about Caleb uh, Loner's haircut. That was, uh, it was a trim though. And as Dave Rose came on and said, there's, there's going to be more where that came from. Uh, yeah, the haircut, we'll have to watch that as a developing story as the summer progresses into the fall. And also we had another question up. That was up on our Facebook and another question up about players wearing, uh, so instead of having the name on the back of the jersey, you could have some uh, slogan. You know, it could be Black Lives Matter. It could be Register to Vote. It could be, you know, whatever, whatever social justice or cause. And so Chris Paul was talking about that and put that up on our social media. And there were more than 100 comments which is a ton of comments for us. And as one poster said, there's a lot of shut up and dribble here. And I, I don't think we've seen the NPK of uh, Donovan Mitchell and other players, but Mitchell seems to be more outspoken. And, you know, he's, he's really good. He's one of the top 20 scorers in the league. I think he's 14th in scoring average. And, uh, you know, the back and forth between him and the fan base, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Yes, it is, obviously. But with Mitchell... You know, he's done it as a private citizen. Obviously, nothing that he does is private because he's very much a public person. But it had no representation of uh, connection to the team or the league. This is a little bit different. Now, go look. John Morant posted something yesterday derogatory, and he's already had to apologize for it. That's what I'm talking about. This is a different issue. These individuals, as citizens of our country, have absolutely every right to do what they do. And I think for me, that was the issue with the Kaepernick thing, is that clearly he has a right to protest however he sees fit. The issue was, does he have a right to do it while he's on the job in uniform representing his team? team and league well the league apparently is going to sanction this to what degree how far do these guys take it now i made uh, i was sort of lighthearted. are we going to have someone on the back change the name of john wayne airport i mean how far do you take it if you t- talk about uh i can't breathe black lives matter uh, people can live with that to an extent maybe some can't but how far do they go that's the issue and it's going to remain an issue for sure yeah well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out one month from tomorrow. That's the restart to the season, July 30th. So DJ PK brought to you apart by ARUP Blood Services. Fourth of July weekend will be busy on the road, and ARUP wants to be ahead of the game. Hans and Scotty G will be at ARUP and Sandy on Thursday, broadcasting live from 10 to 2. ARUP is open from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Love to see you there. Visit utahblood.org for all the details. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback. Brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City. We can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or com. Tom tweets at us with an excellent question. Tom gets an A-plus for this morning's show. COVID hasn't been around for a year, so how did doctors know that smell recovery could take Rudy Gobert up to one year? 
No idea, Tom. Excellent question. Well, I, mean, I don't thinking. think uh, medicine's not an exact science. <laughs> so uh, they must be going off. It takes the body up to a year to recover from other stuff. So maybe up to a year to recover from this. Uh, how many times have we heard someone's got X amount of time to live and they live well beyond that? Yep. Or someone doesn't, uh, they've got an X amount of time to live and they live way short of that. So who knows, man? They, they don't know. It's not exact. They're not, it's not a mathematical equation here. Get a lot of reaction to a goofy video I sent out over the weekend. Did you see the the youth baseball game where the foul ball comes in from another field right at home plate as the kid is swinging? And it looks uh, like... ESPN had it on television, oh, so okay. yeah, I did. Yeah, looks like he hits tw- two at a time. Maybe somebody else thought it came off the plate. Whatever, It was that was a weird moment. Well, I think you've seen many cases where they have the four diamonds together and mm-hmm. one comes over, and and so probably that's what happened, but... Yeah, just, just freaky. What were the odds? And within five minutes, I forgot about it. Tim says that's on the same level with Randy Johnson destroying a bird with a fastball. Another bizarro moment from baseball. Except uh, a, a creature died. True story. All right, you get any uh, feedback today? We got a ton of stuff on our Facebook page we still haven't gotten to. Yeah, I think we have to. I think this is a developing topic, a developing story, as they say in the business. We only really hit it for one segment. I think that we can hit it uh, going forward because I think it's going to be an issue. You know, what do people want? And how? Where's the line until it turns them off? And that remains to be seen. Your line is different than my line, and my line is different than Bob's line, and so forth and so on. So you've got that going on uh, all the time. But, and yeah, I got someone. I got one. Yet. Did you want to say something? Go I ahead. was going to say it's just easier to get turned off when the team's going 2-6 and six, as opposed to the team going 6-2. and two. There will be many factors. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, if they don't go at least 7-1, and one, I'm calling for Quinn Snyder's resignation. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> Guy tweeted at me that he had the opportunity to meet Joe Ingles, just as nice as he seems on TV and when he is roasting PK on Thursday mornings. Now, does he roast me sele- selectively, singularly? No, if he's he roasts re- anybody. He, he it's likes, both of us, right? Yeah, he likes to roast both of us. Once in a while, he'll single one or the other of us out, but most of the time, it's you guys. Yeah, I can't really remember him singling me out over you. Maybe he singled you out over me. You, would be... uh, you know, I think we played some singing for him once, and he roasted you pretty good over that. But you're oh, right. That's there just, aren't, there that's aren't just born out of jealousy, though. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, no doubt in my mind. Do you, have your, do you have your phone with you right there? I do. Check the picture that I just tweeted you. I tweeted you and Yach. Yeah, you sent something about uh, you uh, keeping a score in 1975. The NBA All-Star Game was in Phoenix, Arizona at the old Coliseum, which still stands today. And Walt Frazier, man, I kept score. He had 30 points in that game. <laughs> Look at that All-Star team on the East. Frazier, Monroe, McAdoo, Hayes, Havlicek, Unseld, Cowens. Tom Jonovich, that's a pretty good ball club, wouldn't you say? Silas coming off the bench. Man. Yeah? That is pretty good. It's much better than what the East runs out there these days. Hey-oh. And 
and uh, Jabbar was playing for the West. If you, I didn't, I didn't send the other side, but if you flip it over, it uh, he's there. Milwaukee was in the West, yeah, back in the day. He only had seven points. Rick Barry, Lynn Archibald, Lynn Archibald, Tiny Archibald. We just talk about Lynn Archibald. <laughs> Tiny Archibald had twenty-seven points, but it's it's um, I, the reason why I sent you that stuff is because we had the uh, baseball guy, yeah. the collector card guy, mm-hmm. and he was asking me the conditions of the cards, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get your guy's opinion because I kept this, and this is relative to the condition. I think it's pretty good, is the condition of the cards, too. Do you guys think that that picture that I sent you all these years later is in good condition? Uh, I think the only thing that you have sent me that wasn't in good condition was the one you said wasn't, and that was the Willie Mays with the little blemish in the bottom left-hand corner. But other than that, I think I think this is in good condition, uh, especially because it's it looks like it's pencil and it doesn't appear. It is pencil, to be, yes, and it can get smudged, but it's pretty crisp. Yeah, um, got some good handwriting for that young PK. And what impresses me is you had the official scorebook of the era. I don't know what they look like now. But when I was in high school, which would have been, a, you know, a few years after this, but th- this is an official scorebook like you'd have for a high school team. I think it is a high school team because I had, to, if you if you notice, I wrote down P six under fouls. Mm-hmm. I I put in P six. Yep. Because it was a high school or college. Yeah. Uh, and this has gone with me and stayed with me for three states. This was in Arizona, and I obviously had it in California, and I got it here in Utah now. And I have the program from that game. It was the 25th annual All-Star game program. You've got to, you got to get all this stuff uh, kind of assessed and see what it's worth. I, I, I do, because the last thing I'm going to do is leave it to any of my uh, kids. Screw cool. them. I want the money now. They'll just throw it out. They won't have any idea what they're sitting on there. Doofuses? <laughs> it's one of them within earshot. <laughs> no, they're not. No. Okay. I would say it to their face. <laughs> I know you would. That's why I thought they were within earshot. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.